This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, so tonight I want to talk about a very important subject. The subject actually is called rationalization. What that means, the English word rationalization, means when we rationalize, we don't need this. When you take, when you do something wrong and you rationalize it until not only isn't it something wrong, but it becomes something right. So there's a Mishnah in Perech Hamishi in Perech Avos. And the Mishnah says, Arba Midos Ba'adam. There are four traits when it comes to a human being. Person has, there are four different kinds of traits. What are they? Ha'omer Shali Shali. Some people say, Mine is mine. Mishachashalach. Sounds like a very normal person. Mine is mine. And yours is yours. Pretty much how most of us live. Don't bother my stuff. I won't bother your stuff, right? Mine is mine. Yours is yours. Says the Mishnah. Zumida Bainanis. This is a regular, average person. You don't bother me. I don't bother you. Mine is mine. Yours is yours. But then the Mishnah says, V'yesh Aimrim. But there are some rabbis that say that's not a midabaninus. Midas Sidoim. This is the trait of the Sidomites, the worst community that was ever on earth. They were so bad that Hashem had to destroy them, and he destroyed them with sulfur and fire and salt, so that never ever would anything ever grow again in Sedaim? Anyone here who ever went to Israel or went to the Dead Sea knows that nothing grows in the Dead Sea. Okay. Shali Shalach, mine is yours. V'shalach Shali, and yours is mine. That absolutely makes no sense. Mine is yours, yours is mine. That's just a silly person. What, what, what are we doing? If mine is yours and yours is mine, it's, it's, it's a crazy world. So that kind of person is just a, says the, the mission, he's, he's just not, a, not normal. He's, a, he's an Amaretz, he's a fool. Shali Shalach, mine is yours. Bishalcha Shalach, and yours is yours. Chasid, that's a tzaddik. Nothing's mine. Mine is yours, and yours is yours. Wow. It's a person who. Just give everything away to everyone else. Okay? Shalchashali, Vishalishali, yours is mine, and mine is mine, everything is mine, Russia. It's a bad guy. Okay? So we have four kinds of people. The first one, we're not so sure what he is. Mine is mine, yours is yours. Some rabbi says that's normal. Some rabbi they say, oh, he's the worst guy in the whole world. He's a Sodomite. Then a person who says, mine is yours, yours is mine, silly person. person who says, mine is yours, and yours is yours, everything is yours, right? That's a tzaddik, that's a chassid. And the last guy is a miserable guy. He's like, everything is mine, mine is mine, your car, your Cadillac is mine, your Mercedes is mine, your house is mine, your wife is mine, your kids are mine, everything's mine. Russia. I would think that that guy is from Stein. 
guy walks around and says, mine is mine, yours is mine, that's a Sodomite. Not the guy that says, mine is mine, and yours is yours. Very hard Mishnah to understand. Specifically, what's the argument between these rabbis? Mine is mine, and yours is yours. One rabbi says, maybe this average person. The other one says, average person? The lowest of the worst of the worst. How can two rabbis be so far apart? So, I'm going to explain to you this mission. It's going to make a lot of sense by the time we get finished here tonight. Mission is going to make a lot of sense. All right. So, what is Midas Sidom? What is this trait of Sidom that the Mishnah is talking about? So, let's go back to Sidom. Sidom, we find in Pasha's Vayera. Now, it's very interesting because Avram Avinu went to war and he saved the five kings. He saved Sodom. They were going to be destroyed. They were captured by the four kings and they were going to be destroyed. Avram came with Eliezer and his little army and they saved Sodom. So now Avram Avinu meets the king of Sodom. Shouldn't it be said to the king of Sodom, listen, I just saved the whole Sodom. Maybe I could open a yeshiva in Sodom, like, you know, Kirov, Esha Torah of Sodom, you know? Maybe we could do that. So why didn't Avram Avinu, who was the biggest Kirov rabbi in the world, he did a whole bout tshuva moment in Charon, there was a base Yaakov, there was a base Avraham, actually it wasn't base Yaakov, there was no Yaakov, so you didn't catch me on that. Right, so it was Beis Sarah, because there was no Yaakov, so where would that come from? Right, there was Beis Sarah, and there was Beis Avram, right? And they had these huge schools, and when it came to Sodom, Avram never tried. He never did Kirov in Sodom, he never set foot in Sodom. Why didn't Avram Avinu go to Sodom? He just saved them all and said, listen guys, I just saved your lives, I'm giving a shear. Come to my shear. I'm starting a school. I'm building a mikvah. I don't know. Something. They didn't step foot in Saddam. And the question is, why? What was Saddam? Why did Hashem have to destroy Saddam in such a way that it would never, ever be rebuilt on earth again? What was so bad about Saddam? Now, in Pashba there was a little discussion between Hashem and Avram. Hashem said to Avram, I'm going to destroy Sodom. What did Avram say? If there are 50 tzaddikim in Sodom, would you let them live? Hashem said, yes. There aren't any. There aren't 50. How about 45? Yes. Nope. How about 40? How about 30? How about 20? How about 10? One second. He knew there were no tzaddikim in Sodom. When Lot said that he wanted to go to Sodom, Abraham was vehemently against it. What's he playing games with Hashem? Are there 50 tzaddikim in Sodom? If there were 50 tzaddikim in Sodom, you would have opened the yeshiva in Sodom. If there were 10 tzaddikim in Sodom, there would have been a minion. There would have been a shul in Sodom. He wouldn't even step foot in Sodom. What were these questions that he was asking Hashem? And the answer is like this. Rav Shem Shem Pinkus in one of his most amazing shiurim brings down that Sodom thought they were very righteous. They didn't think they were doing something wrong. In fact, they called Avram Avinu Ivri because 
They said that he was on the opposite side. He was anti-God. The Sodomites said the following. This was their law. Any man caught giving charity to a poor man will be killed immediately. Why? Who made the man poor? God. You're interfering with God by giving him money? You think you're greater than God? Hashem made him poor? And now you're going to help him out? You're an apikyrus. You're Chayim Misa. You're anti-God. Abraham Avinu, you have a hotel that you give food to poor people? You are anti-God. Every, you don't belong here. You, you, if you come to Sudan, we'll kill you. Were they wrong? Sounds, makes sense to me. If a doctor would heal a sick person, they would kill him. God made this guy sick. God gave him strep. If God didn't want him to have strep, he wouldn't have strep. God gave him strep. Now you're going to go give him antibiotics? God gave him strep and you're going against God? Apikyrus! They had a whole Torah. They had a rule. That if a man came collecting tzedakah and he was tall, they would put him on a bed and they would cut his legs off. If a man came collecting tzedakah and he was short... They would put him on a huge bed and they would pull all his joints out till he would die. Why? They said like this. If you're a poor man and you don't accept what God's judgment is that you're a poor man and you're going to try to change it that you want to get money must be that you're not happy with anything. So if you're tall, you probably want to be short. We'll cut your legs off. You're short, you probably want to be tall. So we'll stretch you out. They had a whole tyra. Based on this thought. Not only that, we know the measure says that the final thing that happened is they took a girl, they caught a girl giving food to a poor man. They took her, hung her up on a tree, smeared her with honey by a beehive. All the bees came out and stung her to death. Terrible death. And her cries, when Hashem heard her cries, he said, that's it, I'm destroying Sodom. What, was, what does the measure say? What, what's the punishment? How does it fit what she did? They said, you want to be sweet. You think that's what God wants. We'll show you We'll make you even sweeter than you are. We're going to pour honey all over you. And look what's going to happen. The bees are going to bite you to death. So they had this whole religion, this whole rationalization. They were killing people. They were torturing people. And they were doing it in the name of God. ISIS. This was ISIS. Sudan was ISIS. They were, they, they, they chopped off, they chopped off legs. They chopped off arms. They, they stretched people. They hung people up. They did all these terrible things in the name of God. And they had a whole halacha. They had different halachas. If you made someone bleed, right? If someone would come over to you and hit you and you'd start bleeding, the person who was bleeding would have to pay the person who hit him. Why? Because letting blood was good for the blood pressure. A crazy, famous story with Eliezer. He comes into Sodom, Eliezer, right? Avram's uh, servant comes into Sodom. And a guy walks over to him and knocks him in the head, says the Medish, with a stone. And he starts gushing blood. He tells Eliezer, now pay me. I made you bleed. Elias said, you create, what? What are you talking about? I made you bleed. That's, that's a refuah. It's health. He said, I'm not paying you. Okay, we'll go to court. They go in front of the judge, a famous measures. They go in front of the judge. And the guy says, listen, I made this guy bleed, Eliezer. He has to pay me. Elias is like, he, he's standing, he's like, what, what, what's going on? If anything, you've got to pay me, you hurt me. The judge says, no. Eliezer, the servant of Abram, you have to give him $100. He let blood. He, he helped your blood pressure. 
Eliezer never heard of, it's craziness, right? So Eliezer picked up a rock, says the Medrash, and he fired it at the judge. And now the judge was gushing blood. He said, okay, now you owe me a hundred, you pay him. <laughs> it's a famous Medrash. So the place was totally tipsy-turvy Meshuggah. But it was based on a religion that logically made sense. So Avraham Avinu, when Hashem said he's going to destroy Sodom, Avraham Avinu said, I, you're God, you know what's in their minds. You know what they're thinking. Let me ask you, Hashem, are there 50 people in Sodom that really believe in this religion? In other words, do they really believe what they're doing is correct? Or they're murderers, rapists, killers, torturers, and they created a religion to make what they do right. Abraham said, I, I, don't, I can't answer that. I don't know what's going on in their minds. Hashem, are there 50 people that really believe in this? They really mean this? Hashem said, no. 45, no. 40, no. 30, no. 20, no. 10, no. Hashem said, these are murderers and killers. That's what came first. They wanted to murder and kill her and rape and torture. But they had a conscience. They didn't want to feel bad about it. So they created a Torah to make it right. So the last Pusik over there is that Hashem, after he said that to Avraham Avinu, Hashem turned away. And the last Pusik over here. That was it. Avram went back and said, I'm done with this. I'm not praying for them anymore. I'm not trying to change them. If, if they're rationalizing what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong, and they're making it right, they'll never change. The only reason a person changes is because you have a guilty conscience. You feel bad. But once you rationalize something and you make it right, you're not going to change. There's the famous Medrash in Bereshis. So Bereshis... Right, Hashem destroyed the world in the times of Noah. So it says, why? Because of Hamas. So at that point, there was homosexuality, there was murder, there was immoral acts with all kinds of things, there was Avoy Zara. And Hashem said, what, what, the reason I'm destroying the world, says Rashi, because of Hamas. What's Hamas? You think Hamas, right? You think, whoa. Hamas is stealing. Stealing. So all the other stuff that was going on in the world, no problem. Murder. Idol worship. All this stuff that's going on, no problem. Oh, they're stealing. Got to destroy the world. So the Medrash says, what were they stealing? What were they stealing? They were stealing less than a penny value. Because the Jewish law is that if you steal something that's worth less than a penny, you don't have to pay. It's not an Avera. So they would go into a fruit store, 200 guys. Each guy would take Garenim, you know, the sunflower seeds. Each guy would take one. And all of a sudden, the store owner had no more Garenim. And each guy would say, I only took one. It's not worth a penny. I don't owe you anything. I didn't do an Avera. They'd go into a fruit store. Each guy would take a grape. All of a sudden, the guy has no grapes left. But each guy only took one grape. It's not worth a penny. So that's why the Medrash says, Hashem destroyed the world. Not, not killing people, not serving idols, because a guy went into a grape store and took one grape to destroy the world? Says the Medrash, yes. Why? Because once that started, 
they, they would never do tshuva because they felt like they weren't doing anything wrong. And once that sinks in, once you begin to rationalize what you're doing wrong and you, and you think you're doing right, I didn't do an avera, I only took one grape, right? Meanwhile, the store owner lost everything. Each guy would walk in and take one bite of an apple. One bite! Well, they had no apples, no bananas, nothing. They thought it was very funny, but they were all putter. That's when Hashem said, ah, if they commit ad- uh, uh, idols, maybe they'll feel bad, they'll do tshuva. If they're murdering, maybe they'll do tshuva. If they're doing immoral acts, maybe they'll feel guilty, they'll do tshuva. But once they start doing things that they rationalize, they'll never do tshuva. And that's when Hashem said to Noah, we're not waiting anymore for tshuva, because tshuva will not happen. And he destroyed the world. Now you might think that this is, oh, right, well, that's crazy. I mean, come on. You chop a guy's legs off because he's, he's not happy with how, I mean, that, that, that doesn't make any sense. So I'll tell, you, I'll tell you two stories that happened with me with, with rationalization. So a lot of people send me kids, even from Queens, kids and adults that have all of a sudden become atheists. It's a new thing. Atheists. 12-year-old kid comes to me, I don't believe in anything. I said, what are you? I'm an atheist. I'm like, spell it. Uh, I don't know how. I'm like, okay, first learn how to spell it, then we'll talk. So this is like a new thing. People have questions all of a sudden. People who never asked a question in their life, all of a sudden, where's God? Who was here before God? How do you know there is a God? All of a sudden, these kids became people, people became brilliant. They don't ask any questions or anything else. You can raise the toll on the Triborough Bridge, $5. Why? Nobody asks no questions. Nobody asks any questions. Do you realize? I just told this to someone last week. Everybody has questions on God. Never did I meet an adult or a child that walked over to me and said, how do you know they're angels? How come nobody ever asked me that? Everyone wants to know, how do you know there's a God? How come nobody asks, how do you know there's angels? Because angels don't make a difference in your life. If there's a God, then I can't do things that are wrong. If there's an angel, it doesn't matter what I do. So I don't got to get rid of angels. Angels are good. Tooth fairies are worth a buck a tooth. They're good. Angels are good. But God... I got questions on God. So the question is exactly like Abraham Avinu asked about Sodom. What came first? Your questions on God or your misbehavior? So I have an office in Borough Park. And every day I would take a half an hour off. I need a break. And I would go across the street with a like a little candy store. I get my Diet Coke and whatever else I wasn't supposed to get. I got, right, my chocolate Danish, whatever it was. And I had my half an hour break. And during that half an hour break, I left my phone upstairs. Uh, I need to have some downtime. So one day I walk into this store, and there's a chassidish guy behind the counter. It's already years. We knew each other very well. He's like, hi, Rabbi. I'm like, hi. He goes, I know this is your time off. I know. And when I, mean, I hear that, I'm like, it's not anymore. Right? I know it's your time off, and I know it's special time. I'm like, oh, really not anymore. Um, but there's a guy that I'm, I'm very close to, a very good friend, whatever, and um, he happens to be outside the store, and I wouldn't ask you to do this, but he, he, he's, he's 45 years old. He's one of the guys, and we found out that for the last year, he doesn't keep Shabbos, um, he doesn't eat kosher. In front of everyone, he has five kids, and he's chassidish, and in front of everyone, we call them 
there's a new group out there now. It's, it doesn't mean you're Hasidish. It's, it's Hasidish and Litvish and Sephardic and Ashkenaz. You can join this group. It doesn't matter what you are. They're called ILOs. It's a whole group. I met them. I, are, you a, are you an ILO? I'm like, ILO, UFO or ILO? I don't know what you're talking about. What's an ILO? In Lavush only. Lavush means in clothing only. In other words, we dress the part, but we don't keep anything. So there's a whole group, ILOs, where they look white shirt, whatever you want to call them, yamaka, white shirt, see, whatever it is, they look like they're religious, but they're not. In lavush only. In clothing only. Very sad. Very sad. Anyway, so would you please talk to him? I mean, he doesn't believe in God. He has all these questions, and he has really good questions, and we can't even answer them. So maybe, I know it's your time, but maybe you'll speak to him. So I walk outside. See your guy. I'm like, hi. You're so-and-so? Yeah. Because you're Wallerstein, right? I'm like, yeah. Oh, they all want me to talk to you. They all tell me that you can answer my questions. I'm like, I don't know. But, you know, if you want to come upstairs after five today, I'll be in the office. I'll be glad to talk to you. He says, no problem. But I don't want those answers like all the rabbis give. You know, you all have the same answers. I don't go for that. I want real answers. I'm like, no problem. No problem. Bring it on, baby. See what you got. Okay, comes up, 5 o'clock, shows up. There's my office, sits down. He's got a whole paper. Because if, if you go online now and you write you're a Jew, there's 100 atheist groups that will send you all kinds of emails. Questions on Hosea, Yoshua, and this Lushan, and that. Oh, they're, they're, they've got it. They've got all these questions and proofs that there's questions and questions on the questions and other questions. And they get into kids' heads because they have these questions. And a lot of people don't want to deal with these questions. They come home, they start asking their mother things. All of a sudden, their mother doesn't believe in God. Then they ask their grandfather. All of a sudden, the whole family doesn't believe in God. This guy has questions. They don't know the answers because we don't teach our kids the answers. Even though the mission picker says, da, you need to know what to answer and not be curious. Right? Because if you don't answer that because then all of a sudden you start, to, you start to question. So we should be teaching the answers, but okay, different subject, different night. So he sits down in front of me, good-looking 45-year-old guy put together. I say, can I see a picture of your family? Five Chesia kids, beautiful wife. I'm sitting there, I'm like, I don't know. Something's not right. Because in all the years, 37 years that I'm in Chinuch, I've learned one thing. And that is... Nobody leaves. There's one girl in the front row, 37. He looks like he's 25. I like it. Good. Nice. That's why I go back to L.A. I said that once in L.A., and they went, 37 years in Chinuch? You look like you're 25. I go back to L.A. I don't charge them for my speeches. I'm like, <laughs> I'm there anytime they call me. Anyway, so what I have learned is, which is really, really MS, that we as human beings, we don't like to leave our environment. Alaskans don't move to Miami. And people in Florida, in the summer, it's boiling. It's 105 degrees and humid. Why don't you go to Alaska? Alaska's very beautiful in the summer. It's not bad, right? Nobody goes to Alaska. You get used to your environment. How do we know this? From the Torah. One of the biggest tests for Ramavinu was Lech Lecha Why was that a test? Hashem said, where, you, where I'm going to send you, you're going to have children. You didn't have children yet. You're going to have children. You're going to become a big nation. You're going to be rich. Somebody came to me and said, I didn't have children for 99 years. And God came to me and said, move to Phoenix, Arizona, and you're going to have children, money, power. What's up, Ramavinu's test?
Hashem told him that wherever I'm going to send you, I'm going to do all this for you. And the answer is, with all that, to leave your environment is almost impossible. It's huge. And the truth is that if someone would come to me today and say, move to Phoenix, we'll give you a $5 million house, we'll give you two Maseratis, we'll give you a rabbi's job, you only have to work once a week, we'll open Ornava, a building like you never saw with everything that you want, and Wallstein, your children and grandchildren are taken care of forever. We'll put a $10 million annuity into the bank for them. I'm not going. I'm going to do it with my Arnava girls. I'm going to do it with my BCA girls. I'm used to my shul. I'm going to do it with my children, my grandchildren, everyone that's around me. I'm a creature of my environment. We all are. It's very hard to move. So when you see someone step out of their environment, specifically with children, when we see, when someone comes to me and says, my daughter... I don't know what happened to her. She, 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 she's, her skirts got short. She's listening to music she shouldn't be listening to. She's talking to boys. I don't know. The mom is like, a month, two months this is happening. I'm like, okay, let's watch the graph. Here's a kid who's in an environment with her family. Everything's normal. And all of a sudden, boom, she's not doing well in school. Her skirt got shorter. It doesn't just happen that a girl walks up, wakes up in the morning and says, I got a question on God. It doesn't just happen that a man... Or a boy wakes up in the morning and says, I'm an atheist. Why do you want to be an atheist? You ever see a happy atheist? I've never met one. They're miserable. They're miserable. The guy never walked in and said, hey, Rabbi Wallace, what's going on? I'm an atheist. They're like, I'm an atheist. Prove, prove, prove me there's God. They don't smile. They're not happy. They don't have God. They have this big hole in their, in their heart, this big void. I never met a, They're angry. They come in to talk to me. They're angry. They got an attitude. They got a chip on their shoulder. I'm like, hey, you guys, you don't have God. Man, you can do whatever you want. You can, be, you can go to the Amazon and be a cannibal. You can eat people. There's no God. Why not? There was a thing in Time Magazine. Hey, I hear them. They had an interview with cannibals. Scary interview. Don't get me wrong. Right? It's like, could you come to us for dinner? He said, I don't think so. Right? But they had, they had, seriously, they had an interview with cannibals. So they, they asked him in our day and age, now, now these guys have satellite dishes in the Amazon. They got TVs with satellite dishes, and they're still eating people. So he's like, you're in the modern civilization. Why are you still eating people? And they're like, we're, we, the cannibals, we are civilized. You are savages. He tells the guy in Time Magazine. Civilization you are savages. We are civilized. He says, my high, what are you talking about? So they said, it's simple. We eat an average of two to three people a week, our village. Okay, it's pretty dietetic, right? Two, three people a week in a whole village. You guys, you bombed at that time when they had this thing. They had just bombed Iraq. I don't know, they killed 22,000 people with cluster bombs, bunker bombs. And you don't even eat them. You just kill them and you leave them there for power, for oil. 22,000 people would feed us for 300 years. You're the savages. At least we kill to survive. You kill for sport. I'm reading this. I'm like, I think I'm going to start a yeshiva out there. I mean, these guys aren't wrong. As long as they don't eat me, right? They're not eating kosher, so they won't eat me. But seriously, listen to the logic. So without Hashem, cannibalism is not such a bad idea. Less people will be killed. If you ate people and you didn't bomb people, 
So how many people could you eat? But with Hashem, it's totally one million percent wrong. So I didn't understand, like, why is this guy sitting in front of me, 45 years old, Hasidic guy, beautiful wife, five children, grew up this way, he's got all his buddies, they go to the hot, nice hot mikveh Arab Shabbos, Cholent, Kugel, Kishka, Grieven, Pecha, okay, most of them, they don't know what I'm talking about here, right? Well, whatever, right? Lachmajin, whatever, Kibba, whatever you like, right? He's got all this good stuff, and now all of a sudden, he woke up, I don't believe in anything. So I took a big chance. It's a true story. And I looked at him, and he's like, okay, here are my questions. Question number one, I said, stop, 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 stop. I'm doing question number one. After that, you can ask all your questions. He says, okay. I'm like, question number one. And please do not be angry. And I asked him, Mechila, I told him, I asked him, Mechila, if I'm wrong. He says, okay. I'm like, before I answer your questions, answer my question. How many years are you having an affair with the shiksa? Excuse me? I'm like, you know, the non-Jewish girlfriend that you have, that you're busy with all the time. Guy, he, 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 he didn't turn white. He turned green. And he looks at me. Nobody knows about that. I'm like, well, I wouldn't say nobody. Are you a Makubo? <laughs> Are you reading the lines on my forehead? I'm like, I'm not a Makubo, and I'm not reading any lines. I'm like, it's logical. Why would a 45-year-old Hasidish man with five Hasidish children, a beautiful wife, a business, friends, why would you step out? I said, you have no questions. Don't give me your paper. Your questions are your answer to that shiksa. And until you get rid of her, don't ask me no questions. You don't have questions. I said to him, what came first, her or your questions or your atheism? I said, you fell in love with, with a, Gaish, a, a non-Jewish woman that was waiting for you. And you, had to, you wanted to go ahead and, and have an affair with her. But God is in the way. So you had to get rid of him. So all of a sudden you had to have questions on him. And it didn't only happen once. I'm, I'm sorry that there's young girls here. But I just want to, I want you to understand how far we as human beings can rationalize our behavior. So the rabbis in Brooklyn sent me a woman to speak to, to try to stop her because they suspected that she was committing adultery. Not only they suspected, they followed, they taped, private detectives, hotels, the whole works. So Rev. Wallstein, this family, you know, as long as the man doesn't believe it, you can stay married. There's no divorce. But he's beginning, you know, he's going to believe it too, and this whole family is going to be pulled apart. We need you to talk to her. Talk to her nicely. She has to stop this behavior. Okay. She comes to my house. It's a true story. Hashem's my witness. I'm talking in front of a Aranakaidish. She comes to my house. It's a woman who's committing adultery, one of the greatest sins that there is. She sits down. I'm like, listen. I don't know your life and I don't know the you know therapeutic part of why you had to go to another man. I am not going I'm not getting into that. So but the bottom line, you have Kares, you have Misa, you have children. What what are you what are you doing? 
What are you doing? I don't care how much you love this guy, whatever your feelings are for him. You have a family. She has a big family. You have a family and a husband and a very loving husband. I said, what are you going to do with the Aveira part of it? I mean, this is like huge. She looks at me. She says, Rabbi Wallerstein, don't give me Musser. Whoa. I'm like, why not? You're committing adultery. Why not? Like, who should I give Musser to? The person who didn't kiss the mezuzah when they went out of shul? Like, who should I give Musser to if not you? So this is what she says. Rabbi Wallerstein, I know for sure, for sure, that this other man, not my husband, he is my zivug. Yeah? He is my zivug. He is my soulmate. I'm like, but not only that, I know it's what Hashem wants. I almost fell off, the, I almost fell off my chair. Hashem wants adultery? What, lady, are you, I mean, what are you, like, hello? I'm not going to say it here, but what are, you, what are you smoking? Like, are you cuckoo? You, I like, are you out of your mind? So this is what she says. Honestly, this is what she says. This is rationalization. She says, well, if Hashem didn't want me to be with him, then he wouldn't have, she, he, Hashem wouldn't have put him three houses away from me. And the reason Hashem put him three houses away from me is so that I should be with him. If he didn't want, he would live in the five towns and I would live in Brooklyn. I am telling you, he is my zivug, and this is what Hashem wants. I said, nice meeting you. Have a nice afterlife. Have a good day. And she left. And the Rabbanim called me, No! Did you get to her? I said, There's no one home to talk to. As long as she thinks that this is her zivug, and she's doing a mitzvah, she will never do tshuva. We can take the craziest stuff and rationalize. We had a whole discussion in my seminary, and I'm not, this is not my discussion whatsoever. I'm not getting into it. Don't, call, don't send me emails. Don't ask me. They were talking in my seminary, if you have to wear stockings, if a lady has to wear stockings, or a lady doesn't have to wear stockings. I'm not the halacha teacher. I don't get involved in this. But then one girl said, I wear them all year, but not in the summer. Because in the summer, it's too hot. And I'm like, oh, time out. I'm not telling you whether you should wear them or not. But if you wear them a whole year and you think that that, that sneers, so why in the summer is there less sneers? So you're rationalizing since it's hot, but stockings have nothing to do whether it's hot or not. If it's something that you have to wear because of sneers, that's, what, that's the halacha, then you got to wear it in the summer. I don't take my tzitzis and my yarmulke off in the summer because it's hot. If I have to wear tzitzis, then I have to wear tzitzis all the time. And if I don't have to wear tzitzis, then I have to wear tzitzis any time. So I said, I don't, it's not my business whether you're going to wear stockings. You're not going to wear stockings. But don't rationalize that because it's hot. You don't have to. That's the kayak of the Yetz Sahara. He will rationalize you. will listen to music, but you're exercising. So it's this kind of music. And I, I'm not getting into my two years ago speech, right? But that's, you know, I can dance any way I want. I can do whatever I want because it's exercise. Rationalization, it's okay. This is what we do. Guys, we do it all the time also. This is what we do. It's Kalisha, but it's not Kalisha because it's, I don't really know her. We come up with stuff. Everybody comes up with stuff. And sooner or later, the Yetzirah doesn't only make it an excuse. He makes it a mitzvah. He lives three houses away from me. He makes it a mitzvah. You can be a cannibal and it's a mitzvah. Don't forget to make a bracha, shahako. Before you eat the guy, it's a mitzvah. Because I'm not bombing Iraq. can make you meshuga. It's a very big koyach. Strength of the Sahara. We can do the wrongest things in the world and walk around. And this is, this is why the most dangerous group ever is ISIS. 
Because if you're a murderer and a killer, you might feel bad that you're a murderer and a killer. But when you're doing it in the name of God, you're chopping a guy's head off. And you're doing it in the name of God that it's a mitzvah to chop people's heads off and to rape Yahtzees and to pillage and to steal. And you do it with mitzvah. These are not people that will ever, ever, ever stop. Because there's no guilty conscience. What came first? That, the, that ISIS is a bunch of murderers and killers and rapists and torturers? What came first? Or they're killers and rapists and torturers and they made a religion to make it right. Even the Muslims are saying, this is not Islam. What is this? Right? Even the good Muslims. What is this? And the answer is, we want to kill. We want to rape. We want to murder. We want to steal. So we made a religion. Sadaim. So we made a religion in the name of God. And that will never stop. Nobody can stop that. And that's why Hashem took Sadaim and totally destroyed it from the earth. And that's what the Mishnah says. A person that walks around and says, mine is mine and yours is mine. So he's a Ghanaf. That means I steal yours and yours and yours. It's all mine. It's a Russia. A Russia will do tshuva. One day he'll say to himself, you know what? It's really not right. I keep taking people's stuff. He will do tshuva. So he's the last guy. The last guy is called a Russia. But much worse than that is the guy who says, mine is mine and yours is yours. I don't need to help you. I have a svara. I have a shita. You know, rich and smart people, rich and successful people have what they call shitas, an opinion. Poor people, I never went to a poor person. He said, I have an opinion. Sometimes I go collecting money for a nava, and the guy says to me, I have a shita. I don't help girls. I only help boys, yeshivas. I'm like, where'd you get that shita from? Right? And one guy said to me, you know, I don't know if you run it. You should, you should be nice to these girls that are off the derech. Here's a shita. You shouldn't be nice. You're helping them. I'm like, so how many years did you teach girls? No, 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 no. I never taught girls. I'm like, you have five sons. You don't even have a daughter. What do you know about the chinuch of girls? Because you have a million dollars in the bank, gives you a shita? Like, where's your shita from? People write, I read all the time in all the magazines and newspapers. Everybody reads about kids with the derech and shitas and how to treat them, how not to treat them. I never met these people in the street. I never met them with kids. Sitting, sitting somewhere and writing what you think. Are you, are you a classroom teacher? Are you a principal? Have you been with the kids in our generation? Have you hung out with them in the street? Have you hung out with them in the park? Did you meet them in a rehab? Did you talk to them in a psych ward? What kind of shita do you have? Where's it coming from? Right? People have shitas. So this guy in the mission has a shita. Mine is mine. Yours is yours. You leave me alone. I am not helping you. He will never help anyone. He's a Sodomite. He will never change because he doesn't think he's bad. I'm a good guy. What's the good part of it? That mine is mine. And I'm letting you have yours as yours. So I'm not, I'm not interfering in your life. I'm not helping you, but I'm not hindering you. So I'm a tzaddik. Shadoim. You're not a tzaddik. You don't want to help anybody. You want to keep everything to yourself. So you came up with a shita. Mine is mine. Yours is yours. So you have a whole shita and a whole excuse. And ah! Oh, says the Mishnah. Sedoimites. What came first? That you're a cheap guy, you don't want to help anyone? Or you're a shita? First came that you're a cheap guy and you don't want to help anyone. Then you made it right. So the Yesh Oimrim, the Yesh Oimrim and the Mishra are saying, and, there are some, and rabbis say there are some people who they're not doing it for the right reason. Really, they don't want to help anyone. So they came up with a shita. Mine is mine. And you, oh, says the Mishnah, Melech, Sedoim. Yeah, that's Sedoim. We'd rather that you were Russia. We'd rather that you're walking around saying, mine is mine and yours is mine. I'm like, got it. Got nothing to do tshuva.
But people who have shitas, who think they're righteous, they never do tshuva. And this is something that we need to work on ourselves. Me included, I struggle. You know, I spoke about this. I struggle. It doesn't make any sense to me. Right? I struggle, and I'll tell you the rationalization. I struggle with potato chips. Sounds silly, right? Potato chips, corn chips, and chocolate. I come home at night. I have a lot of stress. I do stuff that's full of stress. I come home. I sit down. Good ice-cold glass of seltzer with a little lemon in it. Ah, schmuck. And a good bag of... I don't eat anything but wise. True. <laughs> wise potato chips. I buy the little bags. So I shouldn't eat so much. It's only 100 calories. The problem is I eat four of them. That's the problem. Right? Oh, just one more bag. Now, I'm a diabetic. Potato chips is not good. Chocolate is not good. So I'm thinking to myself, I don't have. I'm trying to lose weight. I'm trying to get, I can't, I, I look at that bag of potatoes and I'm like, I'm this big. I'm Wallerstein, right? I'm telling everyone what to do. And you're a little wide bag of potatoes with 100 calories. And you're looking at me and you're bigger than I am. I can't say no. I stopped watching movies. I love to watch movies. 20 years ago, I stopped watching television. I love to watch television. And I rationalized that I come home late at night and I'm, I need to unwind. So the rationalization is I got to watch television. So I used to watch television. I used to go to the movies. I love rock and roll. I'm a drummer. My whole life I played non-Jewish music, right? All these things I gave up. For me to give up rock and roll was not normal. It came, it came January 1st. I knew the countdown. The all hundred songs. I knew each one in the countdown and every single musician. And I played the songs. I don't even want to tell you who my favorite... Whatever, I'm not going to tell you. Forget about it. <laughs> so, for me to give up music and start listening to every single niggin that sounded frail the same thing, nah, 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 nah. I was like, come on. Come on, listen to the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, come on, Pink Floyd. What? I, can't, I can't get into this stuff. But I came to realization at a certain point, my Rebbe said... If you, if you listen to only Jewish music, you will have, not Ruch HaKodesh, but bigger siyata deshmayu, your keli will be cleaner, because the person who writes music, music came from heaven. It says that when Adam left um, Gan Eden, he was thrown out. Hashem said, I'll give you one thing to take. He took music. <sighs> Music's powerful. Music makes you dance. Music makes you happy. Music sets the mood of any play or any movie or any show. We don't realize that when we watch television, we go to a movie, but I'm talking about you, you know, your friends, and, or you go to opera, whatever it is, behind every movie, you don't listen to it, it's music all the time. It takes you up and down. It, takes you, it has the most amazing power. So good music and holy music is Ganeiden, and bad music and unholy music is Gehenim. And they're right across from each other, Ganeiden and Gehenim. And music comes out of both places. How do we know that music is so holy? You could not bring a Amakayin. You could not bring a carbon in the base of Migdash without the Levium singing and playing music. What does one thing have to do with the other? If you didn't have music, you couldn't bring a carbon. So we see that in the holiest place in the world, who needs music, right? You have to have music. Miriam, when she came out of the Yam, she came out, they played musical instruments to Hashem. Music is crazy powerful. So for me, it was extremely hard to stop listening to non-Jewish music. But I did it. And it's 15 years I haven't listened to Gaish music. Except when I walk into a store and they're playing it and I start humming it automatically. But naturally I don't listen to it. I don't listen to it. So I'm looking at this bag of potatoes. Like I gave up movies. I gave up gambling. I gave up television. 
I gave up reading my uh, The Hobbit and all my English, you know, fantasy books, which I used to re eat up like, like mamas, like you eat, I read them, everything that came out. I gave all that up, and it's not easy. And I can't beat a bag of potato chips? Come on, Wallerstein. You beat rock and roll, and you can't beat a bag of wise potato chips? So I sat down about four months ago, and I had a discussion with my bag of potato chips. And I'm like, why? How come I can't beat you? I know the answer. Everything that I stopped, I stopped because of religion. It's not good. Not Jewish music, the movies, all that stuff. It's not good if I want to be close to Hashem. So for religious reasons, I stopped all that. But a bag of potato chips it doesn't say anywhere in the Torah that you can't eat a bag of potato chips. So I rationalize that, yes, rock and roll is not good for me, but a bag of potato chips, I make a bracha, and I make a, and I make a burn of flushes. So in my head, my rationalization is, I'm not doing anything. What's he going to tell me? But you're diabetic. And it says, Behem. It says you have to live, right? You have to take care of your body. So, ah, but that's already an extra step. It's off. Behem. But it doesn't say anywhere in the Torah you can't eat potato chips. So I don't have a problem not eating a Big Mac. I don't even have a problem. Listen to this. When I became 50 years old, Right? My father's rub said when you become 50 years old, woman or man, you should take something extra on yourself. So I took on myself, stam, chalavakam. I only eat and drink, chalav Yisrael. Okay? I mean, I'm talking about giving up entomins. I don't know your connection to them, but I was very connected to entomins. Okay? Krispy creams, come on! Okay? That's crazy! Stop dead. I haven't had since I'm 50 years old any chalavakam. No problem! It could be sitting me, I could be going on, on the airplane and I'm starving. And there's a famous Amos chocolate chip cookie that's, that's dairy, that's kolavaka. That's I will go on the plane and not eat anything. I will not eat that. Why? Because it's religious. I stopped eating it for religion. But potato chips is not connected to religion. So in my head, there's a rationalization. You're not doing anything wrong. Boom, 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 boom. That's what rationalization does. Diet, dieting, we, I don't have to go into the whole thing. Once we rationalize something, so my struggle is because potato chips aren't trafe. If all the potato chips in the world became trafe, I have no problem not eating another one. If all the chocolate in the world became trafe, I have no problem not eating another one. But since it's not a religious thing, it's, yeah, you're diabetic and it's not going to be good for you. Ah, it's a whole dre. My rationalization is, I don't want to do the whole dre. Can I make a bracha? Is it kosher? I'm eating it. So it's, it's not only, it's in every aspect of our life. In every single aspect of our life, we rationalize. So if you rationalize, you need to know that when you're doing something wrong, that you're doing it wrong. Because if you know when you're doing something wrong, you did it wrong, you'll do tshuva. It'll bother you. You'll do tshuva. But if you make it right, you'll never do tshuva. So I want to end, because I came very late. So this very, very interesting in Megillas Rus. We'll end with this. Beautiful, beautiful shot. Beautiful Batara. Listen to this. In Megillah's Rus, when Boaz marries Rus, and Kleisrael wants to give them a bracha. They're going off to get married, and they're giving them a bracha. Listen to this bracha. And they said the following. All the people that were in the gate said, 
the woman who's coming to your house should be like Rachel Vileya. Your house should be like Rachel Vileya. And then your house should be like Peretz. Do you know the story, everyone here, of Tamar and Yehuda? Anyone here know the story? So Yehuda had a daughter-in-law. Her name was Tamar. His first son died. His second son died. He wasn't giving his third son, Shayla, to him. So she got dressed up. She knew where he was going. She got dressed up. He thought that she was a different woman. She was totally covered. And he was with her, and she became pregnant. Now, she wasn't allowed to become... He didn't know that it was her, and he was supposed to pay her for, for, for what they did. He was supposed to pay her with a goat. He didn't have a goat with him, so he gave his... He had a ring, a signet ring. He gave his staff and a cloak, and he said to her, you hold on to this till I pay you with, with the goat. And she became pregnant. Now, she wasn't allowed to get married or anything because she was still miyabum to the next child, to Shelah. So when Yehuda saw that his daughter-in-law was pregnant and she didn't wait for Shelah, she was chayav misa ba'esh. So he said, take her out and burn her in public. So she didn't want to embarrass Yehuda because he was the one who got her pregnant. So she sent him a message. Whoever belongs to this ring and stick and cloak, that is the person who got me pregnant. Of course, it was his. And he realized that it was his daughter-in-law. And he said the following. He got up and he said, he realized that he was wrong. Unbelievable. And he said, Tzatkamimani. He got up in public and said, She is more righteous than me. I am wrong and she is right. I should have given her Shayla. She's 100%, 100% right. Now, if I would go to a wedding tomorrow night and the Hassan and Kala are walking down and I walk over to him, I want to, I want to give you two a bracha. Yeah, Rabbi Wallstein, what? Your house should be like Yehuda and Tamar. Uh-oh. That wasn't such a great story, right? Uh, I don't think so. Not really, you know? Hello? And it's very interesting because what goes around comes around. Why does Hashem punish him like this? He got a very embarrassed, Yehuda, because people knew that it was hit, whatever. Because, and specifically, the whole thing wouldn't have happened if he would have had the Gedi and he would, have, he would have had the goat, right? So he got punished because he didn't have the gedi. So it's unbelievable. Chazal say, why did he get punished with a goat, a gedi? Because he took a goat, shechted it, and dipped Yosef's coat in the blood and brought it to his father to show him that Yosef was dead. So he fooled his father with a gedi. Hashem said, now you're going to get fooled with the same thing you used to fool your father. So you're going to be fooled with a gedi. What goes around, comes around. You fooled somebody... Shem's going to use the same thing you used to fool someone to fool you. That's a separate subject. But anyway, so Yehuda had this power that he did not rationalize. He did not get up and say, it's not my fault. She trapped me. She tricked me. No. He got up in front of Yisrael. Yehuda was the leader. He said, Tzadka Vimeni, I am wrong and she is righteous. No rationalization at all. So the bracha that Chalal Yisrael gave Boaz and Rus is that from your children should come out people who do not rationalize. When they're wrong, they admit it. When they're right, they admit it. But they don't rationalize. Your family should be like Yehuda and parents. Okay. But they also said Karachal Why Rachel Valeah? That also wasn't such a great story. 
you want your switch, your sister should switch. Like, what, what are you what are you giving a bracha? They should switch and love on and that whole situation. Like, what kind of what kind of bracha is that, right? So I, I always say this. Um, I always say this. I'm going to say it very fast because it's late. I always say this on Tisha B'av. The story with Rachel Imenu, right? So Rachel Imenu says in front of Hashem, she gets in front of Hashem. The Beit Hamidrash is burning. Avram and Yitzhak Yaakov tried. Nobody could help. Finally, she gets up in front of Hashem and she says the following. She says, Yaakov loved me more than anyone. And he worked for me for seven years. And now my father wanted to switch me. I came up with this whole plan that he won't be able to switch me. I'm, I'm just reading it very fast. She says, and not only that, she said, I controlled my lust. We're not talking about physical lust. We're talking about spiritual lust. To be with Yaakov, that he should be her husband. She said, I controlled myself. But I really, really, it was very hard for me to make the, to give my sister that switch. She said, Vakashali. She doesn't rationalize. Just the opposite. If she rationalized, she would say, One second, I'm not letting Leia switch. My husband worked. I would have rationalized this. My husband worked for me, Yaakov worked for me, for seven years. So I'm not allowed to cheat him. It's Kedavis Das. How am I allowed to switch with my sister? He worked for me and he loves me. How can I do this to someone? Because <gasps> I'm not going to let my sister marry him. She had all the rationalization in the world. But she said, but in the end, my sister's going to be there. And she's going to be embarrassed when Yaakov finds out it's not me. So I have all the, ra- the rationalization to say, I don't care what my sister's going to be embarrassed. Because I have a right. In fact, maybe I'm doing the biggest of error. I'm fooling my husband. I'm fooling Yaakov. He worked for me. Why am I allowing this? But then she said to Hashem, but I realized that all this rationalization, but if I cut through it, the bottom line is why, why would I do this to my sister? Not because Yaakov Avinu, I'm stealing his das and it's the wrong thing. It's because I really want to be with him. She cut through all the red tape and she said, I, I know what came first, not the excuse, a from excuse, but I really want to be with him. That came first. And therefore, I'm not going to. So the bracha that was given, that was given between Rachel Valeya and Tamar and Yehuda was that the children, Mashiach, who comes out of Boaz and Rus, Mashiach ben David, the kingdom of Klai Yisrael, should be a kingdom that doesn't rationalize. Because that's Sedaim. That will never change. But a kingdom that's straight up like Yehuda said, she's the tzaddikista. Like Rachel said, I have all the rationalization to have my sister be embarrassed. What are you talking about? He works for me. It's Geneva. And in the end, she said, no. That's not why I would give my sister up. The reason I would give my sister up is because I want to be with Yaakov. That's the real reason. And that's wrong because I can't embarrass my older sister. And ladies and gentlemen, the bracha came true. I know there's a lot of people in here that say a lot of Tehillim, but most of us miss one of the most important Kapitlach in Tehillim. And when this will end, and when you say it from now on, it is the Kapitel Tehillim that will give you the strength, the inner strength, that when you want to rationalize something, and you want to hide the core of what you're doing, this will strip away the rationalization. David HaMelech, who wrote Nun Aleph, and we know that he sent Uriah, he was in love with Bathsheba and he sent her husband Uriah to the front and he was killed and then David HaMelech married her. And he had all the rationalizations in the world 
Because Uriah was married by Malchus. And the halacha Jewish law is that if someone who rebels against the king, he has to be put to death. So David Amalek had all the right reasons to put Uriah to death. On top of that, when they used to go to war, they used to divorce their wives. So there would be no agunas. Because if a guy would get lost in war, they wouldn't know if he died, the wife wouldn't be able to get married. So they would divorce her before she would go to war. That's what they used to do. So David Amalek had all, everything covered, all the rationalizations. He, he's divorced, and he deserves to die, so why can't I marry her? Okay? What does he write in Nun Aleph? When Nathan Anavi came to give a Musr, to give David HaMelech Musr, because David HaMelech married Bathsheba, so the Navi came to give a Musr. So David HaMelech opens up and says, I need forgiveness that I waited until the Navi came to give me Musr. I should have given myself Musr. I should have gone inside myself and realized that I did something wrong. But I waited for the Navi. But listen to what he says. Chaneini. Chaneini Elohim. Hashem have Rachmanus on me. Mochei Pasha'ai. You know, I once got up and talked about my gambling. It was a shit called rationalization. I talked about 17 years ago, I used to gamble and I stopped and how I stopped and everything I did. And I got this phone call from a big rabbi. He was very upset. He said, I can't believe you talked about what you used to do. I'm like, what are you talking about? I, I, I want everyone to know what I used to do, and I was able to overcome it. And I want to give them chizik that they could overcome it. But you don't understand. My girls in my school listen to your shir. And now that you t- talked about what you used to do, they're not going to have any more respect for you. I said, they should have more respect for me that I'm able to talk about it. No! It's wrong. When you reach a certain level, you don't talk about the stuff you used to do. So I told them, well, check out Nun Aleph, darling. Because David Amalek was much greater than me. Listen to what he says. Wash me from my sins. And clean me from my sin. Now listen to what he says. And this came from that bracha of Yehuda and Racha Valeya. No. I know my sin. I am not trying to rationalize what I did. He deserved to die. He was married by Malchus. No, I wanted to marry her. That came first. That's why I sent him to the front. Well, this is what he says. Keep a shy I know what I did wrong. And my sin is always in front of me. Hashem, to you alone I sinned. And in your eyes I did wrong. Straight up in Nun Aleph, he says to all of us, I know what came first. I am not rationalizing. I sinned. And that sin is always in front of me so that it doesn't happen again. Because when you rationalize something that you do wrong, it is no longer in front of you. It is away. I didn't do anything. You'll never do tshuva. The Melech did tshuva his whole life. The sin is always in front of me, Hashem. You know what came first. You know what came first. And ladies and gentlemen, before every Shemona Esra that you daven, in capital chapter Nun Aleph 51, Hashem, Sofasai Tiftach, Ufiya Giti Losecha. That Pasik is in Nun Aleph. David HaMelech said that before you open your mouth 
to Davin Shimon Ashray. Don't rationalize. Don't rationalize. Then you will do tshuva. Then you will be a true person. Hashem subsite doesn't belong in this capital. I sinned. I know what I did wrong. What's Hashem subsite tiftak lufi And I want to. I want to. I want to open my mouth and tell you my praises. What is that doing in the middle of Nun Aleph? And the answer is, when you go to Davin Shmona Esrei, get rid of all your rationalizations. Then you'll truly Davin the correct Shmona Esrei. So, my bracha to all of you. A story I've been saying wherever I go. It's a, a, a one-minute story. So there's a little boy in first grade in, my, in Yeshiva Crown Heights where I taught. He's a le- little bit learning disabled. He's like the biggest schlamazel you ever met. I took tuna fish sandwiches out of his out of his briefcase that turned into penicillin. They were so moldy. They were there for years. I mean, they, they just, this was just a kid that the socks were always different. His sisters were hanging out his zipper. His clothing was out. I had to clean out his desk all the time. His nose was always running. He was in the office all the time. Rabbi Wallerstein, my head hurts. I want to go home. My foot hurts. I want to go home. My hand hurts. I want to go home. It was like unbelievable. He was like a shlomo and a little bit slow. So I went down to first grade. I used to do this all the time. I go down to first grade one day at 12 o'clock after school, and I go down to the boys. And I'm like, okay, Ellie, first seat. Ellie, where's Hashem? Hashem? There. Any kid, you go home and ask him where Hashem is. There. Then I got to the middle of the class, and I'm like, where's Hashem? And the kids start singing. Hashem is here, Hashem is everywhere, up, down, all around, for all you that don't know it. Right, left, you know it, right? Okay. So he started singing. Now every kid I went over to, I said, where's Hashem? They started singing. It became a whole choir. Teacher was not happy with me. Final kid, last guy, my little penny. Shlum, mazel, shlump. Whatever could go wrong with a kid, but so cute. I'm like, penny, true story, 20 years ago this happened. Penny, where's Hashem? He looks at me. Now, he heard all the class. He heard all the answers. And he goes, here. I'm like, wow. Nobody ever answered that. I mean, Penny, everybody says Hashem is there. No, Rabbi Wallerstein. Hashem is here. I'm like, who told you that? Nobody. I'm like, Penny, how do you know he's here? This kid tells me, first grader, because I feel him here. I turn to the class, I'm like, Penny's the only guy that got the right answer. Why why did all the other kids say Hashem is there? Why if I asked most of you, you'd point up? And Penny said Hashem is here, I feel him. Because when someone's in pain, Hashem being there is too far. When someone's struggling, Hashem being left and right is too far. When a person is going through what this kid used to go through and he struggled a lot, he didn't have friends, so he had a friend. But the friend didn't live up there and the friend didn't live to the right or to the left. The friend lives right here. And that was Hashem. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.